And now for something completely similar. Hey, fans! It's the show time! British movies on the top 100. But this one is not on the list. It's a remake of one on the list. List, list, list. What's up, guys? How's it going? Uh, you like that? That's our new open. That's a that's a new song. Yeah, it's a new song that we invented. We invented from scratch. Uh, I whittled it last night. Don't don't listen to any music from before 1982. <laughs> yeah, that covers us. Sure. I just I just want to be safe. <laughs> oh my goodness gracious! This is a podcast. A special podcast. A special podcast. As as you heard the voice at the beginning, we're still not sure who that is that keeps coming in and doing that. But but this is a series we call, and now for something completely similar, because we are not looking necessarily at, during the month of July, we are not looking necessarily at the movies on the list. I mean, it's not necessarily. We are not looking at the movies on the list. We are looking at movies that are either sequels or remakes to we're, movies on the I list. I mean, not necessarily. Well, I mean, did, are any of the remakes on the list? I mean, necessarily... I mean, are they? Yes or no? It's not a necessarily. There's I mean, no conditional. I mean... Brendan, I'm putting your feet to the fire. Give me a yes or no answer. I'm Brendan. Sir, don't wait for the translation. Answer me now. And he's Jason. Hi. And this is for screen... And country. And yes, normally we do talk about the BFI Top 100, the British movie... The, the Top 100 British films of all time, of all British time. But we're giving the list a rest for the month of July. Month of July. Give it a little siesta. It's... As the Brits say. Similar July. Right? Siesta, yeah. That's yeah, a, it's a ty- British term. A typical British term, yes, yeah, absolutely. A Mexican-British term. Spanish-British term. Spittish. That's what, that sounds like a racist it term. It probably is. <laughs> Let's just forget about that word. So do... Brexican. Brexican. That sounds like Actually, people want, that... want, want Brexit. Yeah, Brexicans. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking Brexicans, you're ruining it! <laughs> anyway, yes. So we're talking about a remake of one of the movies on the list. So, I mean, this month is going to be, you know, there's remakes. We're, we still got a sequel coming up. Um, it's mostly remakes, but we'll also, like, in the future include ones that are, like, heavily inspired by it. When sure. I say heavily inspired by it, I mean, like, almost the same plot, just tweaked a little bit. There's got to be a space version of Henry V out there somewhere. Uh, no, but I will tell you off air the one I'm talking about okay. later if you All want right. to know. Ooh, I can't wait. Uh, so we are talking about the 1989 remake of Henry V. Of course, you'll remember the 1944 version was number 18 on the list. I don't know that we could call it a remake. I would say that it is another version of Henry V. No, the 1944 version was an original <laughs> screenplay. This was a direct remake. It was a direct remake. <laughs> Kenneth Branagh watched the film and copied it word for word, which I think is crazy because it's shot for shot. Yeah. No, okay. <laughs> yes, Henry V. And, of course, if you didn't know, if you didn't know it was going to be Henry V, you will recognize, of course, this iconic theme.
Now, right out of the gate, Brendan, I gotta say. That is obviously the theme to Henry V. Obviously, that is the theme to Henry V. Obviously, that is the theme to Henry V, the iconic opening strains of that movie uh, with the black screen with red text. Now, I have to point out immediately, I'm a big fan of Monty Python and the Holy Grail, and this credit sequence feels like they watched Monty Python and the Holy Grail and said, that, that funny credit sequence they do at the beginning, let's do that straight. And that's what they did, where it's just a black background with blood red text, Henry V, and then by William Shakespeare, and then, I don't know, interpreted by Kenneth Branagh. I don't think it says that. But. Well, you know what's really funny? When we joke, when I joked last week that it was written by Kenneth Branagh, it was. He, he's credited as the yeah. writer. <laughs> well, he was the he must have been the one to do the edits and add in a few things. Well, no, I there. think Kenneth Branagh was William Shakespeare's uh, stage name. <laughs> yes, it's he was. <laughs> I don't know why we've been saying William Shakespeare all these years. <laughs> that's uh, that, it was a really no William Shakespeare really existed, but that's just Kenneth Branagh. That's how much of a dick he is. He thinks he's he can take William Shakespeare as his name and nobody will say anything again. But we're saying something, Kenneth Branagh. I just gotta put my name on it because I made the movie. He didn't sound like I thought he would. It's <laughs> Kenneth Branagh. He's in the studio. Where'd he go? One of the greatest Shakespearean actors of our generation. Hey, I'm Kenneth Branagh. Oh. <laughs> what is he? Now he's Dyson. <laughs> Andrew Dice Stallone. And then my wife, Emma Thompson, she comes to me and says, I can't. I want to make a movie and be in the movie. And I'm like, hey, bitch, fuck off. <laughs> Sylvester Dice Clay, everyone. Yep. <laughs> so this version. We have a lot of fun on this show. <laughs> We have, we have, and, a, and apparently a revolving door, yes. just like people can just walk in <laughs> from the old mausoleum. Uh, we have some, our references are so deep now that people would have to like go back and find the origin to understand. We're, them. we're so very literate. We are. So this version of Henry V was released in 1989, and it stars. I'm just going to go through here because there's a lot of people. A cast of thousands. Yeah, not as like extensive as his later version of Hamlet. No, certainly not. That's... Uh, in terms of star power, but this is still a big one. So we got Kenneth Branagh, obviously, as Henry V. Boom. Derek Jacoby as the chorus. I believe it's Jacoby. Uh, okay, I thought it was Jacoby, maybe. But yes, also from Gladiator. Yeah. Uh, Brian Blessed as Exeter. Brian Blessed. He was the Hawkman in fucking uh, Flash Gordon. Okay. Yeah. Flesh Gordon? No, no. That's Flash, what I'm Flash. familiar with. Oh, you've only seen Flesh Gordon. Well, uh, you would think that, but no, no. Thankfully, Brian Blessed kept his penis covered. Oh, well, thankfully to us all. Paul Gregory as Westmoreland. Simon Shepard plays the Duke of Gloucester. Ian Holm is Flew Ellen. Our old friend. Our old friend Ian Holm. Did he have uh, a leak on him somewhere? I feel like he must have had a leak like on like like tied they, to his belt or something rather than a huge hat. Well, there's a later scene I think where they kind of reference that. But they did you mention it? Yes. Yeah. Um, obviously, uh, Ian Holm in this movie getting ready to school uh, Henry's one of Henry's predecessors, successors. Yes. Henry the. You mean George the Third? Yeah, that's yeah. the one. In, in about 500 years, sure. Yeah, right. He's he's doing some scouting. <laughs> Ian Holm plays a Terminator in this yeah. movie. <laughs> he's uh, Michael Maloney is Dauphin. Dauphin, the Dauphin. Christian Bale. Yes. Robin the Luggage Boy. By the way, as soon as I saw him in this movie, I was like, that's yeah, fucking Christian that's Bale. Christian Bale. Uh, also, in the credits, he's credited as boy. Yeah. Because <laughs> I think that's what he is in the play. Yeah. Uh, there's a few more here because there's some big names. Yes. Robert Stevens as Pistol. You may, remember, you may be asking, who's Robert Stevens? He was in A Taste of Honey. He played Peter. Which one was Peter? Peter was the man who was dating... Uh, oh, really? Yeah, Dora Well, Bryan. shit, I didn't know that. Yeah, that was Robert that's, Well, I guess that's what 30 years will do to a person, right? That's right. <laughs> uh, Robbie Coltrane, back ah. again as John Fals uh, Falstaff. Yes, sir. And 
Judy Dench. There we go. As Mistress Quickly. I didn't recognize her at first, but at some point I was looking at her face. I'm like, that looks like Judy Dench. And then I looked it up and I was like, holy shit. I should say Dame Judy Dench. Well, Dame now. She was not a Dame at the time. I don't uh, but she plays Mistress Quickly, Pistol's uh, wife, or just his lady, I guess. Well, she's like, she's like, I think she runs it in because she's in Henry the Fourth, Part One and Two as well. Like, well, there's all those some, characters are. But. They 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 mess around with the plays a little bit. We'll talk about that too for sure. Yeah. So just the last two here: Paul Schofield as Charles the Sixth, the King of France, mm-hmm. and last but certainly not least, Jason, our old friend Emma Thompson. Plays Catherine, the daughter of Charles. And is wonderful in the five to seven minutes of screen time she has. Lovely. Yes. Lovely. I completely bought her as a French lady. Yes. So the first thing I want to do before we even get into this, Jason, actually, you know what? Let's give us the brief rundown because we've talked about the plot, obviously. Yeah, so so basically Henry V is a story of, of Henry V of England. He was king of England back in the day in 1300s. Um, he basically is pressing a, uh, he to press a claim in France because his grandfather, Edward III, I think it was his grandfather, one of his, one of his relatives basically was the nephew of a person who was connected to the French throne. And so there was a belief that the English throne was due to be reunited with the French throne. And so he pursues this war in, uh, France to go take that throne. And so, yeah, it culminates in the battle of Agincourt which is uh, depicted quite uh, wonderfully in this movie and uh, a little more extensively here yeah and then over <laughs> and then he he uh, uh, and then he works very hard on and marries uh, Catherine who is the daughter of the the king of France uh, Charles VI yes so the the movie basically covers that story of of Henry being encouraged to go press his claim pressing the claim fighting the battle being a king you know, doing what he does and becoming uh, king of France and living happily ever after, which is not the case because then he died of dysentery, uh, shitting himself to death at the age of 35. So what you're saying is uh, he basically dies like the dude in the English patient. Pretty much, yeah. Shitting himself. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we don't see that in the movie because it's a very heroic end, but, well, heroic. No, that would be great if, like, right after it just saw him going like, <laughs> Okay, but right from the so right from the get go, first thing I want to say is that the um, well, I mean, we should talk overall. Yeah, overall, overall thing is that this is not like a stage adaptation. No. You take the nineteen forty four version. I think it was at a time when they didn't have any successful Shakespeare adaptations to the screen. No. in nineteen forty four, they had several before that. Yeah. Before that. But nothing that really wowed people or even got like great reviews from critics or made a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we talked about, too, how Winston Churchill basically commissioned Lawrence Olivia, because he was this great stage actor, yeah. to make Henry V, but to tweak it a little bit and to make it kind of like a propaganda for yeah, the troops. exactly. To, to make Henry into the heroic king that Churchill wanted him to be and use it essentially as a metaphor for fighting the Germans. Um, and to inspire people, and and the movie certainly does. I mean, we, we talked a lot about it then, but but it is a an incredibly extravagantly made adaptation of Henry V as far as like the costumes and and the look of it. It's so like as I said then, it, it is comparable to a medieval illumination. Like it has that look to it. It's super colorful, and like when they when the battle at Agincourt is fought, it's on this beautiful sunny day on this green field. 
And yeah, it, it is it is an impressive film. And of course, we also discussed that the film was tweaked, as you say, to remove yeah. some of the more distasteful parts of, uh, that are in the in the play, such as the execution of the traitor's lords, the hanging of Bardoff, and things uh, like that, to make it more palatable for the audiences. You know, you don't want you don't want the hero of the movie to be doing things that are morally questionable, especially during a war, because you're going to do lots of morally morally questionable stuff. But let's not think about that. Yeah, that's not, it's it's not a, it was not a priority of Churchill to have that. And also, I think that kind of diluted his whole uh, thesis statement of making that movie back in the 40s. Of mm-hmm. like the, the the goal that they had with it. I think having those scenes in would have definitely made that a little like more murky. Mm, absolutely, it would, it would not have been in pursuit of their objective. But uh, let's see. Let me do the math here. So 40, 44 years later, forty five years later. Yep. Kenneth Branagh decided that Lawrence Olivier, fuck him, I can do it better. Uh, and uh, or or you know, I, I have to assume that's what was running through his head. I, I'm sure he loved Lawrence Olivier. No, no, I think I think he hated him because he's like, that's the guy who's got the rep, and I'm gonna be the next guy. I'm yeah. gonna be the next Shakespeare actor. Fuck you, Patrick Stewart. Fuck you, Christopher Plummer. Especially fuck you, William Shatner, and your dumb wig. I'm gonna be the best uh, Shakespearean actor there ever was. He, he said that. He said this piss is shit. That's right. That's exactly. Or the shit is pissed. The shit is pissed. This piss is shit. Uh, It's been quoted differently in different sources. Yeah. But he said that, and then he went and made Henry V, nineteen eighty nine. Yes. So, number one, let's talk, Brendan. Number one, this is a much more naturalistic and gritty take on this story. This feels like a movie. This is a movie. Whereas the whereas the nineteen forty four version of Henry V felt like a movie for I would say the second half. Yeah. Or maybe even like the last like two thirds. Well, especially as is that that begins as a play and finishes as a play, but in the middle is a movie. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I'd say a good chunk of it feels like a movie, but a lot of it feels like you're watching a stage play. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the way they have they they made it seem like it was at the Globe Theater yeah. with people of the time. It was really cool. That model was, they built was amazing. Yeah, it was like it was a different it was a different way of yep. doing like a stage play on film. But it definitely these two movies are like night and day. These are completely different takes Very different, on yes. the subject with like you said, it's the same script basically. Yeah. There's th- there's things that they don't cut out of this one, mm-hmm. um, and there and actually there's one thing in the other one, or there, there are probably more than one, but there's definitely one major thing in the original that they did not have in this one, and that is that ridiculous scene with the uh, the what's that the fluke is that what you called it. The little thing that he put oh, his with hat. Oh, a, a Flewellen uh, had the the leak on his the hat. The leak, yeah. yeah, the fluke. Yeah. Well, that and actually, we, we can go one step further and say that this version, because you know, if you look at those old Shakespeare plays, a lot of them have these weird comedy bits in them, and it, and it's for a modern, I guess, eye, it seems very tonally disparate, where you're going from like this drama, drama, and then you're having these weird comedy scenes come out of nowhere. But that's how they did it back then. Like an um, And you still see some of that somewhat in a lot of like, at least from my view, and and. Folks, correct me if I'm wrong, and maybe I'm I'm only talking out my ass here, but for me, I, I see a lot of that in Japanese stuff. He does that all the time. He's a real Ace Ventura. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, that movie's 80% funny still. Uh, so, what was I talking about? Yeah, so it was like Japanese stuff, I find, like, especially if, you watch, if, you, if you've if you ever played uh, any of the Metal Gear Solid games or you've watched anime, things like that, you'll find that the tone is very much similar, where it'll go from very hardcore drama to very... Uh, some weird comedy and then back. Uh, Brana, being a more modern filmmaker, basically cuts all the comedy. Yeah, it's gone. And, like and you, you'll remember in the beginning of the 
of the Henry of the Olivier version, there's that scene with the priest and he has all the papers and he's dropping the papers and he's trying to explain the connections of, of um, family as to why he can press the claim. That's not in this version. The 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 fun stuff with Pistol and Miss Quick when there there's not a lot of that. Wait, wait, wait hold on. The stuff, the stuff at the beginning with the two priests. I mean, no, there's the two priests talking, but I mean, when he then is like, it's on the stage and Henry's sitting there and the the bishop, I guess, comes out because he got the tall hat and he's like, he's got the stack of papers that he keeps dropping. And oh his yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, that all, that's all gone. Well, and I think, and it's better for it. Well, and I and I will say that I did a little bit of I did I did a little bit of research. In the, I mean, research, quote unquote. But looking into this a little bit, and I guess Kenneth Branagh Kenneth Branagh addressed this and mm. said, while he looked to the 1944 film for inspiration and kind of because he obviously you know we joke, but obviously Lawrence Olivier was a big influence on him. Yeah. And his acting and his directing. Absolutely. But he looked to the 1944 film for that kind of inspiration, and he said. He didn't feel like the comedy of those moments would play to a modern audience. No. He kind of felt like, if you make it... Because in that movie, it's like, it's kind of justified because they're playing it to you watching, but they're also playing it to the crowd in the yeah, Globe Theater. As they would have. As they would have at the time. Yeah. But now he's like, well, we're not doing Globe Theater. We're presenting it to a modern audience. And the modern audience wouldn't necessarily laugh at like a little stumble bum dropping papers and then all of a sudden we're like executing yeah, folks like exactly. it's, just, it's not it a, would it's... ruin the flow and tone of what he's going for with this right movie. And, and and it works very well because obviously this, this is a very good movie a very good adaptation uh another thing i gotta say the the 44 version was very much traditional it felt again it was like a play all the actors were acting like shakespearean actors very yeah. much very like loud projecting um, you know what I mean when, it, when they say like play acting. They were doing play acting, theatrical, theatrical, theatrical acting, absolutely. But in this movie, again, much more naturalistic. A lot, a lot more like quiet scenes. Um, and props to the actors in this movie. Uh, Kenneth Branagh, first and foremost among them. The the Shakespeare, the the language can be difficult to parse. It can be difficult to recite. I, I know I've done some Shakespeare stuff over the years as far as like in classes and even in drama groups. And it can be tough to say that stuff because it's... But these guys know this stuff and they understand it. And it just flows out of their mouths in a way that you would expect like any dialogue to. And it, and of course, being Shakespeare, it's so lyrical. And it, it sounds so good coming out of their mouth. Like Kenneth, I couldn't take my eyes off Kenneth Branagh this entire movie. He was so good. Like just... The guy, there's a reason this guy is a great Shakespearean actor, Brendan, because he fucking knows what he's doing. So, yeah, I mean... Um, I will say that there are a couple things that stick out for me that don't work in this movie, though, in terms of that. Hit me! Because, like, I feel like in this movie, yes, we're getting the Shakespearean language, yes, it's a lot less theatrical, and, okay, maybe these are important parts, but the, the scene, for example, where he's monologuing or I guess what is it called soliloquy yeah or Henry Henry's doing his soliloquy late in the film I feel like moments like that don't work for, don't work for me anyway that well in a movie where it's meant to be not stage play-esque mm. and I feel like things like that I'm just like uh, like, yeah, I, I think I know what when you're, you're talking about when after he'd been talking to the men in the camp and he has that long which speech. again yeah. which again Terrible disguise. Yeah, he just you would you would know that was Henry. He well, has the, spoken to every single person. Well, yeah, but I mean, also in those days, like unless you saw the king in person, you didn't know what the king looked like. Did they not check his Twitter account? <laughs> they should have. They it probably would help. But you got to check people's social media for sure. At Henry, at real Henry V. Yeah. Uh, but I okay. Before we go any further, because this is right at the beginning of the movie, I do want to play a quick clip. Sure. Uh, because I feel like a uh, one major character that is feels very different in this movie to me is the chorus. Yes. The man who's 
narrating through. Because if I remember correctly, in the 1944 version, the chorus didn't do much. He like was he there did at the beginning. He was there in the beginning, and he was there at the end. And, and I think at the end, I don't think he's in the middle at all. I don't know. I don't remember if he shows up or not. But yeah, he was very much a traditional Shakespearean chorus. Derek Jacoby's character is dressed in more is in modern attire. He's got a modern haircut. He's well, wearing like a trench coat. We start he's, the film in a film set. Yeah, exactly. He he walks through the film set at the beginning. Maybe like, I wonder if that's a callback to the 1944 version being starting on a on a play. It, it could very well be on stage. Yeah, and, and to the point where when that happened, I like I had never seen this. Obviously, yeah, I thought like, are they going to do the first 30 minutes of this? Like on, a, like on a film set. On a yeah. film set, yeah. They, 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 when you see the cameras and everything, which I think would have been an interesting idea. I kind of, I, you know what? I kind of want to see that happen <laughs> now. I'm kind of curious about that. But anyway, I just want to play a quick clip of uh, part of the the chorus opening the movie, getting right into the introduction. So here we go. Then should the warlike Harry, like himself, assume the port of Mars, and at his heels, leashed in like hounds, should famine. Sword and fire crouch for employment. But pardon, gentles all, the flat, unraised spirits that have dared on this unworthy scaffold to bring forth so great an object. Can this cockpit hold the vasty fields of France? Or may we cram within this wooden O the very casks that did affright the air at Agincourt? Oh, pardon. And let us ciphers to this great account on your imaginary forces work. What is your thoughts that now must deck our kings? Carry them here and there, jumping all times, turning the accomplishment of many years into an hourglass. For the wits to fly, admit me, chorus to this history. Who, prologue-like, your humble patience pray. Gently to hear, kindly to judge. Our play! Oh, I can listen to Derek Jacoby talk all day. Well, and here's the thing. I think he does a similar thing with this introduction that they do. Obviously, it's the same text. But that they do in the original is that... But in this one, it's interesting because he he's kind of saying, listen, yeah. it's just a movie representation. We're not going to get everything. Yeah. We can't show you everything. We can't represent <laughs> everything on this wooden O, yeah. which is funny because he's referring to the Globe yeah. Theater. This is clearly a movie. <laughs> and he's like basically saying, like, you know, to cram all this history into one two hour movie, crazy, right? Yeah. But we're going to try. We're going to do our best. <laughs> it's just, yeah. Now come with us for this adventure. The play is the thing. I like how Brana in this movie is very quiet. A lot of times, oh, like especially early on, he's he very intense. He couldn't be any more opposite from Olivier. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's not to say that Olivier's bad and no. Brano's great, or vice versa. Two completely different performances. Well, and that's, again, Olivier's acting for an audience, and Brano's acting for the camera. And he's doing it, like, that early one where he's talking to the, um, I believe, the, the, the Herald, who brings the tennis balls, and he's talking about that. It just It's so intense, and you can just see the fire, the fire in his eyes, without having to scream at the guy. Oh, I like and and I also found it a lot more obvious in this one that it was tennis balls. In, yeah. the, in the original, I was like, "What's going on?" <laughs> yeah, no, they they looked a lot uh, a lot more like tennis balls, and they're all warmongers too. But I guess that's in the original play. Everybody's like, "Ah, go fucking do it! Just fucking do it!" Can Attack ta- France. Can we talk about the the big thing in this movie that they they focus a lot more on? Because I think 
I was confused by the original because I didn't really understand this person's role. Mm-hmm. I'm still a little confused yeah. by their role, but uh, John Falstaff, Falstaff yeah, absolutely. is barely in the 1944 version. You basically see him dying. He And actually, in the play, you don't see him at all. He dies off stage. They talk about him, but yeah. he doesn't actually well, appear. Well, yeah, because there are scenes with him in this, and they are from like Henry the fifth part one and Henry two? the fourth part, fourth part one, one and two, two yeah. It's, yeah they're like flashback scenes essentially yeah but uh kenneth Branagh decided to add them in for context and it was it was smart i think to give a little yeah because most people don't that's the thing like if, if you're into shakespeare i guess like on maybe a, a like a school level like you've read it in school chances are you haven't read henry the fifth but if you have read henry the fifth in school chance the it's very strong chance you haven't actually read henry the fourth part one and two which kind of goes through henry's youth when he was harry and his his alleged riotous youth, which they don't believe has any historical basis, but for the purposes of the play, uh, you know, he'd like to drink and carouse, and he hung out with Falstaff and Nim and Pistol and um, Miss Quick and all those people, and you know, th- they were like his his boys, you know, his his yeah. crew. Jimmy Dench was one of the boys. He also gives Robbie Coltrane an excuse to do something, which is nice because I love Robbie Coltrane. Um, but yeah, you, you see those scenes and, and they have a few moments there. And the the big one, though, is when Bardoff, which actually, it's a line that Falstaff, as I understand, says in the play, but they give it to Bardoff in the movie where he says, um, if you ever catch a thief, don't hang him. Yeah. And that comes back around later because we find out, and, and again, this was cut from the 44 version. Uh, in fact, uh, Pistol informs the king pistol who is friends with bardoff and friends with the king informs the king that bardoff has been caught looting in the um in a church yes so with tears in his eyes he immediately orders him to be hanged and they do it they hang him right there on the road uh basically just throw a rope over a tree and push him off a cart and hang him right there and i do uh i do have that clip of him talking please about play that for talking about uh this is just after bardoff has been hanged and henry does a quick little speech here we would have all such offenders so cut off. And we give express charge that in our marches through the country, there'd be nothing compelled from the villages, nothing taken but paid for, none of the French upbraided or abused in disdainful language. For when lenity and cruelty play for a kingdom, the gentler gamester is the soonest winner. And that's actually an interesting um, thing for an interesting kind of heroic aspect of Henry to me is that he tells his troops in this is the 1300s. He tells his troops, hey, no looting. Don't fuck with the people. Just keep your eye on the prize. And that, to me, shows the loyalty of his troops because you have to remember that back then, if you were a soldier, whether you were mercenary or whether you were a soldier in, in the Lord's Army or the King's Army, you expected to be able to go out and loot and, you know, rape and do all those sorts of things that soldiers have done throughout history because that was part of the deal. Because, you know, you weren't necessarily getting paid a lot to be a soldier, so when you go out and raid a town and burn it to the ground, you would take whatever you could carry because that was part of the advantage of being a soldier was being able to loot. So, to me, that says a lot about his soldier's loyalty, that they're there for him and not just for the booty. And I'm almost the, I almost of, of the mind that they should have kept this scene as part of the 1944 mm. because... It's not necessarily, I mean, I guess sort of it's showing him as kind of a complicated person because that was one of his friends back in the day, obviously. They were very close and he has to execute him. But it's very, like, pro 
military in a I way so. because he's he's basically saying no one is above. You're right. No one is above the law. No one is above you know military law. Even, whatever. Even this guy that I used to drink and carouse and 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 fuck around with. I'm sure they had lots of like group sex. It's just what they did in those of days. Of course, Judy um, Dench. They, I mean, they and, ran a train. They ran a Robbie Coltrane. That's on right. Judy Dench. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, would you rather? But um, Hagrid, get out of me, butthole. <laughs> That was my Judy Dench. I, I like forgot it. what I was even talking about, Brendan. Uh, so sorry. Group, uh, group sex. Uh, group sex, and then before that was about... Oh, okay, yeah, so I have to imagine, though, the reason they took this out of the 44 version was because they probably didn't want to draw attention to the idea of a battlefield execution because mm-hmm. you don't want to think of your, your dad or your brother being out there and just being executed by an officer for taking a pistol or something from a dead German. You know, you don't want to... I mean, they generally didn't do that because fuck the Germans, right? But yeah. I mean, everybody wanted a Luger. I saw Band of Brothers. I have not. What? Are you fucking nuts? I mean, yeah. Okay, well, you should watch Band of Brothers. If you like Saving Private Ryan, it's that and more. Less Tom Hanks, but more 88s. You, you didn't sell me. <laughs> it's got it's got fucking uh, 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 Donnie Wahlberg. Uh, Scott Grimes is in there. D-dubs? You D-dubs, absolutely. SG? You got it. Wow. And that other guy, the British guy, Damien... Um, BG? No, yes. I mean, he is a BG. Damien... Damien Lewis? Lewis. That's the guy. Plays that's, Captain Winters. That Great was show. a complete guess. <laughs> yeah, no, it is Damien Lewis. Um, okay, so... Again, I just want to say, Brian Blessed is amazing. He's hilarious. He's a... He's a oh. He's a big Shakespeare actor. Like, so, big! So, sorry, I do want to go back to John Falstaff for a second. Yeah. Uh, so Robbie Coltrane obviously played, we got off on a, we got off on a, we got off on a tangent, tangent there. there. But Robbie Coltrane plays them obviously. Obviously, we talked about Robbie Coltrane and Mona Lisa. Um, he's this big boisterous guy who takes over the scene mm. in, in his very limited screen time. He de- definitely takes it over because he's just such a personality. Well, that's, and that's Falstaff himself. Yeah. Well, I, my thing is. What is their relationship? Because, like, I guess they kind of hint at it, but like, it you don't really get anything concrete. Yeah, you know, basically, it's it, it. Falstaff was not a real guy. He's a composite, actually, of a, a couple of people. Um, originally in the play, Shakespeare was going to name him after one of these guys, who's I think it was Old Church or Old something, whatever the guy's actual name was. But apparently, his descendants were not too hot on that even back in the 1500s families had issues with they wouldn't sign off on they the wouldn't rights. sign off on the rights so he changed the name and made him into a composite character but Falstaff's basically like a mentor to Harry like Harry, uh, Harry didn't get along with his dad very well yeah uh, they had a lot of issues with each other and actually at one point in history um Henry the fourth was quite sick and Henry the and young Henry took over the governing the country while his father was sick. And when his father recovered, he basically undid everything that Henry did because he didn't like it. So there was a lot of there was a lot of tension between them. So I think he kind of found his mentor in Falstaff or the characters that he's a composite of. So and it, it's kind of like the idea of having an old drinking buddy. Like if if you're like a young person, but you've got like a, a guy that's twenty years older than you, maybe you work with him or something, but you go drink with him, and he's like the, the old guy that's cool to hang out with and tells you stories, and you drink together and have good times, and he gives you life advice and wisdom. Like he's that kind of character to Harry. He's very much his mentor in that sense. Okay. And by the way, folks, uh, just so you're not confused, Harry and Henry is interchangeable. Yeah, he's that, called both throughout. They call him Harry when he's like younger. That's like their familiar name of them is Harry, and and he's occasionally refers to himself that way mm. over the course of the film. Sometimes Kenneth, what's the frequency, etc. Yes. 
Uh, they had the tra as I mentioned, they had the Traitor's Lords in this version, which are dealt with very quickly. I thought that that would be a plot that would run longer in the play, that maybe it would come up at some point where they try to fuck him over and then he gets the best of them. But no, it's like they basically start their conspiracy and then are immediately found out when he tricks them into revealing. And I, I, I do have that scene too, because I, I do like the, the trick he yes. pulls on them. So we should set this up a little bit in that he is basically making it look like he's asking them for advice about a drunk guy who kind of rallied against him, which they did keep that part in the original. Mm -hmm. I, I'm pretty sure they kept the part in the original, uh, the original, the 1944 Henry V of uh, Henry talking about, or someone telling Henry that there was a guy who uh, uh, ranted against him mm. in a drunken state and Henry is like, no, no, it's fine. Like, don't, don't punish him. And they kept that in, but they didn't keep what that scene actually was. Yeah. Which is his way of tricking these three into basically setting their own punishment. Yeah. Because he asks these three, you know, what do you think we should do with this guy who did it? And they're like, oh, no mercy should be shown. No mercy should be shown. And these three, by the way, are, at the same time are conspiring against Henry. Yeah. So anyway, let's just listen to this little uh, scene here. Sir, you show great mercy if you give him life after the taste of much correction. Alas, your too much love and care of me are heavy orisons against this poor wretch. If little faults proceeding on distemper shall not be winked at, how shall we stretch our eye when capital crimes, chewed, swallowed and digested, appear before us? We'll yet enlarge that man. Though Cambridge, Scroop and Grey, in their dear care and tender preservation of our person, would have him punished. And now to our French causes. Who are the late commissioners? I won, my lord. Your highness bade me ask for it today. So did you mean, my liege? And I, my royal sovereign. Then Richard, Earl of Cambridge, there is yours. There yours, Lord Scroop of Massam and Sir Knight Grey of Northumberland, this same is yours. Read them. And no, I know your worthiness. My Lord of Westmoreland, Uncle Exeter, we will aboard tonight. Why, how now, gentlemen? What see you in those papers that you lose so much complexion? I do confess my fault and do submit me to your highness' mercy. To which we all appeal. The mercy that was quick in us of late by your own counsel is suppressed and killed. You must not dare for shame to talk of mercy, for your own reasons turn into your bosoms as dogs upon their masters worrying you. Man, he's good. So yeah, he basically it tricks them into saying, oh, you should not show mercy. Oh, by the way, I found you. Oh, please show us please mercy. Please show us some mercy, sir. No! Yeah. Not happening. You guys fucked yourselves by thinking of the common man that way. You don't fuck with Kenneth Branagh. That's right. The other thing that they definitely leave in, Jason, I know you mentioned this the last time we, we talked about Henry V, is the uh, the threat he makes to, uh, to open the gates or he would rape and pillage the city. And he literally says, we're going to rape every last woman and pillage the city and kill every child and everything like that. I mean, you could argue that maybe he wasn't going to do that. But it's the threat that it's gets threat. him in the city. And they definitely do not have that in the Olivia. No, <laughs> absolutely not. No, he, yeah, he rides right up to the gates and just lays it down. And the guy's like, you know what? Come on in. 
Well, sure. Well, and, and you know what? And especially as he was telling his guys not to loot and pillage, so that was probably a good idea on their part. Yeah. I mean, the city was already on fire, but what can you do about that? Los Angeles? Yeah. It was, yeah, it was riots going on, floods, fires. It was like living in the Old Testament, to quote uh, Ron James. <laughs> um... So this is because it's 1989 and there's no uh, there's no ban on killing kids in movies. There is a pretty brutal scene in this movie, which again is kind of referenced to, but not really shown in great detail in the, in the 40s. One is that while they're having this battle of Agincourt, which by the way, this battle scene is crazy. Yeah, set we'll, piece. we'll talk a little more about that after right. this, but yeah, um, the all the children are slaughtered. Yeah, the uh, and Christian Christian. Future Dick Cheney Bale is dead as fuck. Dead as fuck. So what happens, and this happens in the previous one too, it's referenced, but we don't get the full extent of it because I don't think the boy character is in that one specifically. Uh, no, he is. Oh, is he? Yeah, we get, we do get the scenes of like uh, him hanging out with like uh, uh, Bardoff and okay. Pistol and everything. But yeah, so they, they send a cavalry regiment around back while the battle's going on and they just slaughter all the squires that are at the at the camp. And yeah, Henry shows back up and finds the body of uh, of Robin, Christian Bale's character. And as the battle's ending, there's this great scene. It's really cool where he picks up, he picks up his body and slings him over his shoulder and he walks the body across the battlefield with everybody else as they walk over to where the dead are being placed and he puts him down. And it's just such a... It's just such a neat scene for whatever reason in my mind. Just this long shot of him walking along. I just realized something. What's that? Christian Bale plays a character named Robin. <gasps> it was foretold. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, was, I just thought that was crazy. I just, I just thought about that now. I was like, holy shit. There is a very impressive four minute tracking shot in this movie yeah. uh towards the end of the film is this the one i'm thinking of where when he's, he's carrying, carrying yeah that's what i was talking about yeah yeah it's a it's a four minute tracking unbroken tracking yeah. shot though like it's crazy and they're playing this song Domine, sed nomine, sed That song is beautiful, and it, it just it makes that scene. It's it's such a cool shot. Yeah, it's just it's a it's a crazy. And then if you want a, if you want the best comparison, or you want the best like comparison about how this is different from the original, the, I would pull that scene. Yeah, one hundred percent. It really nails the kind of like the much more mournful tone of the whole thing. Sweeping. You know? Yeah, very sweeping. Um, the battle itself, though, they really went all out and really made it feel like you would imagine a, a medieval battle happened. It was very, like, very gritty. It was in the mud. Like, it was raining and it was gray and they're they're in the middle of a melee and, you know, Kenneth Branagh's riding on a horse and banging on people's shields with his sword and it's just, it's chaos. You can't it's, see this, guys, but Jason got very animated. I'm very animated. I'm that. swinging my arm around like a fool. 
it, uh, yeah, it's just it is pandemonium in in the best medieval sense, and it is awesome to watch. There's cavalry, um, but like all movies like this, it's not as big as I'd like it to be. Because if it was as big as I'd like it to be, they wouldn't have any money left to make the rest of the movie. <laughs> so, uh, and I mean, there, this movie we. Sh- it does have the PG-13 attached to it, mm-hmm. so it's not going to be as bloody it, as you expect. And it's pretty bloody. I mean, they, they show a guy they, being grabbed by the head and his throat being just sliced right open. Like, yeah, that's a PG-13? <laughs> yeah, they, they do the they do the PG-13 thing where you see it, but then they quickly cut away. Yeah. They don't I mean, linger on blood, which I think is the silliest censorship thing ever. It's like, no, no, I want to cut this guy's head off. That's okay, as long as you cut it off and then you cut away. Can't have any blood. No, you can show sure. blood, but then just get off that shot. If you cut his head off with a lightsaber, that's fine, because it cauterizes the wound. Right. Um, yeah, because, yeah, not showing people the consequences is better than showing them the consequences. Why did Henry have flashbacks late in the movie? Because he's thinking on his life. He's before he's going into battle. I just thought that was weird. He's, uh, you know, you, you think no, about no, this not, stuff not, when you're going to die. Not the full flashback scenes. There's a scene where he's doing something... And it's literally just flashes of people we met earlier in the movie. <laughs> he's like, he's reminded of them. He thinks of them as he's going into battle, Brennan. How dare you, Brana? Uh I want to say the armor in this movie looks really good. Uh, it isn't It isn't as quite as, you know, outlandish as it was in the 44 version. Because, again, the 44 version was very much like a an impression of medieval combat. And, there wasn't and, enough Technicolor in this movie. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a, this is a grime movie. Grindhouse? <laughs> yes, this is a grindhouse movie. Yep. This is directed by Robert Rodriguez. Oh, oh, oh man. I want to see that. Ooh, I want to see Tarantino's Henry V. Tarantino, no. You know what? No. Tarantino would not be able to do Shakespeare because he could not do a literal Shakespeare adaptation. It would be his dialogue. He would change <laughs> it so much. You know what? I, it, that's probably better that he would do that. Um, you, you hear about Bardoff? Fucking hung him. <laughs> Fucking hung him. What socks was he wearing? I think they were Cargo 8s. Cargo 8s? <laughs> thought he had Cargo 7s. No. Cargo 7s for little girls. <laughs> what makes you say that? <laughs> it just keeps going, yeah. That's my example. And um, scene. The the look of this movie, I feel like the look of this movie must have inspired uh, perhaps the people that, that were the like directors of photography on Game of Thrones. Because this movie, I don't know if you've ever seen Game of Thrones, Brendan. Never. It's a great show. Uh, great books. Um, but it has a very similar feel to this movie where it's very dark, there's a lot of smoke... Um, it's very brutal, much as Game of Thrones is, and it's, yeah, I would not... Peter Dinklage is in it. I wish. Uh, I would not be surprised if they looked to this movie for inspiration, and even going further back than that, this movie, I feel like, may have been inspired by a movie like Excalibur. Uh, have you ever seen that one with Patrick Stewart, and... If I the name sounds familiar, so if I have, I was probably like six years old. The the armor in that six? the oh, armor fuck. in that movie is much more lavish, but it is a it is a gritty kind of more realistic take on the Arthurian story. And yeah, I wonder if if maybe they were inspired by the look of that movie somewhat, and then move you know, Man, it, how, it's all it's all a big train of influences. How great is all a big Robbie Coltrane of influences? Robbie Coltrane of influences. <laughs> how great would it be? Would it have been if a fucking dragon just showed up in the middle of this movie? Uh, that would have been cool. And, <laughs> and then Saint George shows up, and they have a he's, battle. He said he's like uh, doing his Saint Crispin's Day speech. Like, what, what's the famous line from that speech? We few. Yeah, we few. We band up. Holy shit! A dragon! Get the <laughs> fuck down! Every of a fucking dragon! Every man for themselves. <laughs> How do you write that in iambic pentameter? We'll figure it out. Every man for themselves. Holy <laughs> shit, a dragon. Uh, I am Henry. Goodbye. Goodbye. Uh, another difference in this movie, too. The the French king, uh, in real life and in the 44 version, 
um, had mental issues. He was. Uh, Did they portray that? In this movie? It, it, no, not in this one. I was okay. going to say in the forty-four version, you oh, see that he acts kind of okay. silly and crazy a little bit. Okay, clearly there's something going on. Um, B, he's no. They just play him pretty straight. They don't bother digging into that. Because, I mean, again, with without the comedy end of it, and, it's, I mean, in 1989, maybe mental illness was funnier than it is today, but... Um, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't It wasn't uh, 1995 yet. No. Madness of King George. That's <laughs> right. That when, came we, 1994, I think. Four, but, okay. Uh, oh, look, I will forgive you this time. Look at me. Look at you, Mr. Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, so they, they don't do that. And I think, again, I don't think the movie suffers for it. I think it's actually fine. I think it'd be a distraction yeah. if they did that. Yeah, it's because uh, it's not really about him. Because I would argue in 1944, they probably did think mental illness was hilarious. Well, because the movie was a metaphor, too, for uh, the war, it made sense to portray the enemy leader, a.k.a. Adolf Hitler, as being unhinged. Mm. <laughs> and which he was. Now, I don't know if the French king was taking copious amounts of methamphetamine, but Adolf Hitler certainly was. Uh, Adolf who? I, we have a lot to talk about. Oh, you're going to... Do you know a lot about history? A little bit. Uh, see, what happened was... <laughs> I started reading about history. Yeah. But then when I got to like 1932, yeah. I, I like I, I kind of, I stopped. I got sidetracked. You thought you but thought then, history was done. Yeah. And then I, I picked up a book and I accidentally started it at 1952. Ah. So I missed it about 20 years. I'm sure nothing like major You got, you got to now. the end of the depression, but then picked up after the death of Stalin. Yeah. And I didn't yeah. know who Stalin was. I yeah, was exactly. Like, who, You're just, who's this guy? Who's this guy? Stalin for time, more like. Hey, <laughs> hey, hey, just die already, dude. Man. That's actually not too far off, uh, and this is a little side bit, but yeah, when Stalin was dying, they, it was a long process, and when he was finally dead, <laughs> and if you've seen the movie... Um, the Death of Stalin? The Death of Stalin, they go into this, where they didn't want to actually go into the room to check on him, because they were afraid that if they went in and bothered him, he'd have them killed, which he was known to do, but uh, that's a different movie, but I highly recommend it. Armando Anucci's, I think that's his name, uh, Death of Stalin. And we probably should mention Emma Thompson again, because you love oh, her so much. Oh, uh, 100% mention Emma Thompson. They do give her her scene where she's speaking in French with her maid and trying to, like, understand English words. And you know that I'm going to play a little bit of it, because Please. it's I find it's quite a bit different uh, than the 40s one. I mean, not super different. I think they draw a lot of inspiration from yeah. it. But it's played, again, it's a funny scene, but played more subtly funny. Yeah, and she, uh, Emma Thompson's version of this character doesn't come across as quite of a dummy. Like, I, I got yeah. a sense in the 44 one that she was kind of like, oh my god, like she was Valley Girl. Beautiful! <laughs> oh my yeah. god, wouldn't that be great? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I totally, like, Henry was coming over, and like, I totally was like, <laughs> oh my god, Henry, like, I don't even know you, like, how can we even get married? Like, what the hell? But this is actually one of the more, like, kind of funny, a little bit, like, like if, if you could say anything in the movie is funny, that maybe this is the funny scene. Oh, and by the way, when you guys, when you're listening to this, just remember, uh, one of the characters is Emma Thompson, because if, if you're not looking at the screen and you're just hearing it, mm. I think she disguises her voice really well. Yes. And this French accent is really good. And also, one thing to point out, too, is that as in the original play, as I understand, there are no subtitles in this scene, and nope. it takes place in French, so. So it's all in French. So but... if you don't understand French, guess what? Fuck you. I, I don't know how to say fuck you in French, but if I did, I would have said it. I'll say it in Italian. Fungu. There we go. Et tu parles bien le langage? Un peu, madame. Je te prie, m'enseigner. Il faut que j'apprenne à parler. Comment t'appelez-vous la main en anglais? La main, elle est appelée de hand. The hand. Mm. Et les doigts? Les doigts. Ma foi, j'oublie les doigts. Mais je me souviendrai. Les doigts, je pense qu'ils sont appelés de fingers. 
la main de hand, les doigts de fingers. Je pense que je suis le bon écolier. J'ai gagné deux mondes anglais vite moi. Comment appelez-vous les ongles Les ongles Nous les appelons de nails. De nails. Écoutez, dites-moi si je parle bien. De hand, de fingers et de nails. C'est bien dit, madame. Il est fou, bon anglais. <rire> dites-moi l'anglais pour le bras. Dame, madame. Et le coude Delbo. Delbo. Je m'en fais la répétition de tous les mots que vous m'avez appris dès à présent. Il est trop difficile, madame, comme je pense. Excusez-moi, Alice. Écoutez. Da Anda, da Fingres, de Niles, da Ama, da Bilbo. Delbo, madame. Oh, Seigneur Dieu, je m'en oublie. Delbo. I'm listening to it now, and I'm like, that does not even sound like her. No. And like I said, that I know uh, Emma Thompson might be like my modern Julie Christie. Like, I just, I love everything she touches. She's, okay, she's in the fucking, mo one of the worst movies ever, Junior. Oh, no. And she gives a fucking compelling performance in that movie. <laughs> like, she gives, like, a like a, a physical comedy performance that's better than anything else in that whole fucking movie. She gotta pay the bills, and she doesn't, uh, she doesn't, uh... Skimp, I suppose, when it comes to her roles. Even her, if it's in a crabby movie. For me, her and Tilda Swinton are like top-notch yeah. people right now. For Have been for a while. Oh, yeah. But yeah, she has that scene. And then, of course, we also get the scene later where Henry is, uh, well, quote-unquote, wooing her. Yeah, and, and okay, guys, this was creepy in 1944, and it's even creepier in 1989. Just the idea that he's in this room, basically, he's got her in the room, and he's not leaving until she agrees to marry him. I do agree that it has this creepy overtone, but for some reason, I was less charmed by the by the '40s one. I feel like maybe it's Branna. I think so. I think Branna is just inherently more charming than than Olivier was. And maybe I mean this isn't really fair to the movie, but maybe it's knowing that they're a real couple. Yeah, Kenneth Branagh and Emma Thompson. We should mention they were at least together at the time, if not married. They were married when this film came out. Yeah. Yeah, I just like I again, it's not really fair, but but uh, <laughs> but it's yeah, I I, just, I felt like a little less. I just felt, I felt a little less creeped out by yeah. this one. No, I know what you mean. Yeah, it it does. It by the end of it, yeah, it does I, feel better. And I think that's because Emma Thompson portrays that Kate as a stronger character. She comes across a stronger, yeah. uh, more intelligent character than she does in the in the forty four. Well, version. yeah, because in the forty four version, you're like, how old is this girl supposed to be? Because she's coming across like a child. Yeah. And, and chances are, in the 1300s, she probably was. She's, She's probably like 13 or 14. Literally probably 12, and Henry is like 45. She has not blooded yet. <laughs> oh my god. That's, that, hey, that's a Game of Thrones thing. They talk about them like, uh, oh, she has not had her blood yet. And when she does, then you may have children. <laughs> Give her milk of the poppy. I love poppy milk. Yeah, you do, because it's fucking opium. Poppy milk is my favorite uh, character in a Mike Lee film. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, he's still kind of breaking her down a little yeah, bit. Yeah, he has to work on her. That's on William. You'd think back then it wouldn't be that hard. You'd think a, a, a princess gets a chance to marry the king of another nation that she'd be jumping at the opportunity. I would have loved to see, uh, been been alive back then to see an actual production because you know it would have been a man uh, dressed up as Catherine. Absolutely. <laughs> it would just be really funny to see well, a man, what boy. they're... Yeah, what their portrayal of, like, and their kiss and stuff. Especially, yeah. Wait a second. That means you got, like, 
underage boys having kiss scenes with like 40 year old men on the stage. British have always been into sodomy they like to say different but they've always been into it have you what? ever seen the British Navy come on on screen the British Navy Winston Churchill once said is nothing more than rum sodomy and the lash Winston Churchill perfect guy never did anything wrong no <laughs> Um, well, Jason, uh, actually, oh, sorry, I don't want to jump ahead. Is there anything else you wanted to mention about the, uh, the film itself before we get into kind of the actors themselves? I just want to say that this whole movie feels, it's one of the, the more naturalistic depictions of Shakespeare I think I've ever seen. Even Brana's Hamlet is much more, I guess, for lack of a better word, theatrical. theatrical. Uh, and I mean, and it deserves to be because it's a beautiful movie, but... Yeah, this one is just, it's really in the grit. Now, I have not seen Mel Gibson's 1989 Hamlet. I think it's 1989 as well, or right, uh, right around there. 1990, yeah. 1990, yeah. That also strikes me as a pretty gritty take on a Shakespeare play. I'm really curious to get into that at some point, because because yeah. uh, him as Hamlet has gotten so much like from either side, like positive and negative. Mm-hmm. I'm really curious to see that for myself. Yeah, me too. I would like to see how that, uh, how that plays out. Yeah. But yeah, no, this is a very cool take on a Shakespeare story. Very naturalistic, very gritty. Uh, if you've ever watched Game of Thrones and you like that, I highly suggest you check out this version and, and get yourself a little Shakespeare, because, yeah, it's hard to understand, but it's good for the brain. If you're a big fan of uh, Dr. Loveless and mm-hmm. Wild Wild West, certainly check it out. If if you enjoyed the Thor, Brana directed, this movie is pretty much the same thing. Yeah, if you enjoyed... Uh... Harry Potter, when he played Gilderoy Lockhart. <laughs> Henry V is pretty much the same character. If you enjoyed the murder on the Orient Express. I will... By the way, that movie is highly underrated. That movie's awesome. I love that movie. You that was a great... Did you get to see it? Yeah, no, I, we, we watched it randomly one night. And yeah, I mean, because I, I, I love Kenneth Branagh. Yeah. And uh, I thought, oh, we should watch this. I haven't really watched any Poirot stuff before. So I don't know how this turns out. I don't know what the what the end of the mystery was. No, me neither. So I enjoyed it very much. And that is a, just a beautiful movie. Yeah, it got, it got weird. Weirdly, like mixed reviews for yeah. some reason, but no, it's it's. Really I'm good. told I'm I, I've heard that there actually may be a sequel on the way in the form of uh, Death on the Nile. I, I think mean, I hope so, but I don't know that it did that well. I, I hope so because like I say, Kenneth Branagh was great as Poirot, yeah. and now that David Suchet is retired, we need somebody to take over the mantle of Poirot. David Suchet, of course, you'll remember from Wing Commander if you listen to Brendan's other podcast <laughs> in that episode I was on. What were that? they thinking? <laughs> but yeah, so. Um... You ready to move forward? Let's move forward, yeah. Okay, well, I'm talking about forward. Poirot now, so let's move forward. <laughs> let's Now, again, before we do that, though, Jason, we are going to take a brief commercial break. Got to pay the bills, Brendan. Here we go. Oh, thou is Podcoin. Finest of the king's mintings, glittering in the sun, spread across the cyber highways of the land. Dost thou download it on thy Google Play Store? Nay! IS downloaded through iOS. The iOS device? Aye, tis true. And dost thou receive thine pod coins when thou listened to the podcasts? Through podcatcher called Podcoin? Yay! Three score pod coins. <gasps> For true? If thou. Okay, I can't do this. <laughs> I, 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 uh, He's out. He's out. 300 po- bonus pod coins if you sign up with our our uh, code, which is ScreenPod. That's S-C-R-E-E-N-P-O-D. You got to hear this in plain English, folks. None of the Shakespearean shit. When it comes down to it, the deal is you get the app, you use our code, you get 300 coins, and we can use those coins for many things. And you listen to PodCoin, or you listen to podcasts on PodCoin, 
you listen to ours, you'll also get one and a half times the usual amount of podcoins you would get per like uh, minute, and uh, you can get gift cards with that with those podcoins. You can donate to charity if you feel like the uh, the charitable sort. And you should. Phil it's it's good to be charitable. Yeah. So I mean, get on it, get into it. You're get... listening to podcasts right now, and what are you getting for it? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Why not get something? For something you're already going to do. That's right. It's no extra work on your part. Just go to iOS uh, and go to the App Store. Or if you're on Google Play, if you're on Android, I guess, go to Google Play, download it, install it, and start getting your coins today. Podcast! And we're back. We are back, and it's time to dive into this movie's background, which we saw a little bit at the beginning when Derek Jacoby was walking through it. I actually... It's funny you mention that, because I don't have hardly anything. And, oh, okay. and everything we did talk about, we kind of already, already All covered. All right, well, give me, give me what you got, Brennan. Well, I'll tell you what I do have, Jason. All right. Let's talk about about the uh, the acting. Let's make some acting comparisons here. Sure. I know we've got two completely different styles of film, which is interesting because the la- last week there were two very similar movies. Yes. One was obviously less subtle than the other. Yeah. But I feel like these movies are so radically different. Yeah, no. Uh, with uh, the exact same dialogue. Yeah, absolutely. Which is crazy, yeah. Yeah, right, no, yeah. no, no, the, uh, the, the go-betweens were very much just a remake of the other. It was like the setting was the same. The characters were very similar. Uh, the actors were different was what it came down to. The editing was a little different. The script was a little different, but yeah, this is a craft v- services was a little, different. little different. Yeah. I think they had tacos on uh, the modern remake. I think so. But they, they uh, had buttered chicken on the original. Yeah. W- weirdly. It w- you wouldn't think it was, wasn't that popular in the seventies Indian food, but they were ahead of the game. That's right. Well, that was when they were conquering India. Yeah. Well, exactly. They were, they were <laughs> having it shipped back. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. The height of conquering the Indian empire. <laughs> You really do know nothing about history, do you? <laughs> uh, is Gandhi running for president this year? Uh, which one? Uh, Indira, obviously. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, again, we're bringing it back from the dead, much like uh, where Herzog is going to bring back Klaus Kinski. But that was an off-air conversation. Don't worry so about it. So nobody knows who <laughs> uh, Okay, so actors. Actors in this movie. Well, we got to talk about, I mean... Let's go. Let's go down up. We'll talk. By we'll the way, Kenneth Branagh was like 28 when he made this movie. Crazy. So I feel like a fucking failure. <laughs> so starting out, let's talk about Flew Ellen, the character of Flew Ellen. Uh, in this ver- in this version, Ian Holm, in mm. the original, Esmond Knight. Who you got? I gotta go with Ian Holm. He's oh! in Brazil. What? That's the reason? Yeah. <laughs> he was in Brazil, and he was in the Madness of King George, and he was in fucking Alien. And Mona Lisa. That was Bob Hoskins. Yeah, it was Bob Hoskins. Although, you could swap them out and maybe you wouldn't notice. Alright, next up. I've only got a few here because there's so many characters. Uh, Falstaff. Robbie Coltrane in this one. George Roby in the well, original. Well, considering George Roby just laid on a bed quietly. George Roby? Yeah. <laughs> you really so, owned it. So, you're going to run the train on Robbie Coltrane? That's right. Okay. That's what we're doing. I'm going to agree with you and I'm also going to agree with you on Ian Holm. Alright, the chorus. we got Leslie Banks in the original. Derek... Uh, Jacoby or Jacob B in this one? I guess we're biased because we're from this era, but yeah, it's Derek Jacoby. He's so good, and he was in Gladiator. And... He does a lot more in this one. He's in the midst of battle scenes when yeah. he's narrating. Okay, it. that's actually what I wanted to talk about. There's that scene where he's doing he he's doing his like his chorus monologue, and he's like walking along the lines as dudes are fucking running 
full force past him. And I don't know if it was just a question of using the depth of the camera to kind of trick it so he didn't, but it looked like he was going to get mowed down at any point if he didn't walk at the right speed. Like, because guys were just flying past him. And they're in full fucking armor, so that would have hurt. Yeah, and I love that they're... Actually, you know what? I know we're at this point of the podcast, but I do want to play that quick clip because there was yes. a... There, I want to talk about his narration at this point. Okay. So, here we go. Thus, with imagined wing, our swift scene flies in motion of no less celerity than that of thought! Work, work your thoughts, and in them see a seed. Behold the ordnance on their carriages, with fatal mouths gaping on girded half Suppose the ambassador from the French comes back, tells Harry that the king does offer him Catherine, his daughter, and with her to dowry some petty and unprofitable dukedoms. The offer likes him not. And the nimble gunner, with Linstock now, the devilish cannon touches, and down goes all before them! <laughs> Once more into the breach, dear friend! Once more, I'll close the wall up with our English dead. So, yeah, obviously the line after by Henry, I think, was kind of iconic. It was pretty iconic. Oh, yeah. But did you notice in this, when Derek uh, Jacoby is doing that, there's a part in that speech where he's, like, trying to race through it a little bit. He's like, and, of course, the officer's dependence and things and things, and Henry rejects it. Yeah, 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 moving on. Yeah. It's almost like he's like, okay, I got to tell you this quick because I don't want to get fucking shot. Yeah, and like, I, don't I don't want, want you get... to miss the battle. <laughs> yeah, I don't want you to miss the battle. I don't want to get stabbed while everyone's, like, running around me. So I'm just going to run through some things real quick so you know what's going on. You got it? Great. And that was that was when they were attacking Harfleur earlier yeah. in the movie and that is again I, I didn't mention it uh, but the scene of him on the horse and the and the town on fire in the background like like just such great filmmaking just so cool to look at and of course we could also uh, unrelated but obviously we talked about the St. Crispin's Day thing ad nauseum in the last oh, yeah. one so we don't have to get into that but it's very impressive in this well, one and as in well. this one too it's much more grounded he's like he's literally walking amongst his men and gets up on a, on a wagon to finish the speech while his men crowd around him it's not quite as epic as it was in the 44 version, mm. but but still very good and, and appropriate. So, yeah, I'm saying Derek J- Jacoby. Jacoby gets it. Uh, I think you'll know my answer for this. This is Catherine. We got Emma Thompson in this movie and Renee Asherton in the original. I'm going to go with Emma Thompson. Yeah. I mean, Emma Renee Asherton, she did what she could. Yeah. Emma Thompson just, she's wonderful. She is. And finally, the big debate, Jason. Henry V, Kenneth Branagh in this version, Lawrence Olivier, 1944. Very difficult. Uh, because they're both in very appropriate movies for their style. They're, exactly. They're, they're acting very appropriately for the style that the movie is in. They're both very good at it. I mean, uh, Lawrence Olivier is considered one of the great Shakespeare actors of all time. Yeah. And I, I would believe that Kenneth Branagh is probably up there, too. Now, do you think Lawrence Olivier has more of the distinction of being one of the great Shakespearean actors or do you think it's like he's uh regarded as one of the great actors well I think well, I mean he like is, st- I was saying like stage do you think he's more recognized for stage I, I think he's very important across both but I think he's recognized for the stage because that's where he came from and that's mm. where he kind of made his name and and obviously this 1944 Henry V raised his profile even even more uh to the world I mean, and yeah, he was in lots of movies and stuff, but yeah, I think, I, when I think of him, I think of him as a Shakespearean actor. Now, Kenneth Branagh, certainly, I think that too, but he is, and maybe because it's the distance in time, but I feel like he's proven himself as more versatile. Yeah. 
uh, being able to do regular movies and such and directing. And all I mean, Olivier of did great in yeah. Sky Captain. Yeah, he was amazing. He did the best he could. <laughs> but I think, because like, I, I think of Olivier, I don't think of anything other than Shakespeare movies and a movie yeah. where they use footage of him after he died. Like, it's just not... Well, like... and he was also, I think he was in The Boys from Brazil. And he was also in The Marathon Man with Dustin Hoffman. Uh-huh. But, but I just, like, I don't associate no. him with that kind of thing. No, very much think of him as Shakespearean. But when it comes down to performance, I give it to Brenner. Yeah, personal preference, I guess, it comes yeah. down to, right? And I would say that, too, uh, that Brenner, I think it's a pretty clean sweep acting-wise for this movie. And I think it's just, you know, again, we might be a little biased. 1989 is a lot closer to us than 1944. Absolutely. Sensibilities are a little a little closer. Yeah. Well, Jason, this thing uh, goes to the Oscars. Better. I mean, kind of. Doesn't get a lot. No. Uh, it only wins one Oscar. Do you know what that was? Best costumes. Yes. Oh, no, that was just a guess, but you they have really at, good costumes. You didn't look at my notes here? No, never. Can you see through this phone? Well, I mean, I do have x-ray vision, but I only use it ethically. Oh, okay, just to look at my wiener. Absolutely. Well, yes, it does one, it does, it does one. Great job, Brendan. It does win <laughs> Best Costume Design, but it's and it's nominated for two awards that it does not win. Best Adapted Screenplay? Nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. I added the description and give me an Oscar. I should have got Best Original Screenplay. <laughs> hey, why don't I get Best Original Screenplay? I wrote that thing myself. I got a Pulitzer for writing the book. You know how they say Sir Francis Baker wrote Shakespeare's plays? Fuck that, it was me. <laughs> so the first one that gets nominated for is for Best Director for Kenneth Branagh. We actually did this year, we actually talked about this year at the Oscars before when we talked about My Left Foot. Right, yes. But just to refresh your memory, the other nominees were for Best Director were Woody Allen for Crimes and Misdemeanors, which I think is a hilarious title yeah. considering who he yeah, is. absolutely. Jim Sheridan for My Left Foot. Mm-hmm. Peter Weir for Dead Poets Society. And the winner that year, Oliver Stone for Born on the Fourth of July. <gasps> Big erect penis, Mom! My favorite <laughs> quote from that movie. <laughs> The other nomination is also for Kenneth Branagh. It's for Best Lead Actor. Listen to this. And again, we've been through this before, but listen to this fucking list of heavyweights. Not heavyweight nominees this year, okay? We got Branagh for this movie. Tom Cruise for Born on the Fourth of July. Morgan Freeman for Driving Miss Daisy. Wow. Robin Williams for Dead Poets Society. Damn. And the winner, your favorite. History's Greatest Monster. Daniel Day-Lewis for My Left Foot. Well, and he deserved it. I mean, that I, is a crazy list. Yeah, that is a heavy list. And and I think Daniel Day-Lewis deserves it out of those ones, for sure. Despite but your everybody personal was vendetta. Good. Despite my personal vendetta, I can acknowledge talent when I see it. Yeah. And he's a talented actor and, and deserved that award. But yeah, Brandon was great. Um, Robin Williams is great in that movie. Whether it holds up or not, I guess depends on who you are. But he's great. Um, who else was there? Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Morgan Freeman. I've not seen... Born on the Fourth of July. Oh, you should. And it's I haven't. Great. I don't remember. I mean, I saw Driving Miss Daisy when I was a child, but I saw it not that long ago. Because How's it hold up, Brendan? Well, let's just say uh, the voice choice is a little weird for me. <laughs> the whole like I don't want to do an impression, but it's very... Morgan Freeman doing like a Southern accent. No, it's more Morgan Freeman doing like a stereotypical like like uh, slave accent. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm not going to do that. No. <laughs> I, I watched it recently because there was a lot of talk of it uh, during uh, Green, Book. Green Book. Yeah. Yeah. Which I would say Green Book is definitely the more sensitive of the two <laughs> movies. Um, it's weird because like the, both those movies are about how racism is bad, but they are kind of thick-headed a little bit. Well, white people love a chance to be racist, but not really. <laughs> right. I think that's the message you want to get across. That's what I took from it. <laughs> so... 
But you know what, Jason? Fuck the fucking Oscars. Okay. Fuck them. Yeah, fuck them. Because this movie also goes to the BAFTAs. The only ones that matter on this podcast. And it also only wins one award at the BAFTAs. But do you want to know what this one award is? Uh, Best score. No, it wins best director for Kenneth Branagh. Hey! And it's nominated for and does not win best lead actor Kenneth Branagh, Mm -hmm. cinematography, costume design, production design, and best sound. Do you have any of the nominees? Who the fuck beat them in costume design that year? Uh... I don't know, my left foot? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those Irish peasant clothes. <laughs> yeah. So, let's get into the final kind of wrap-up here, Jason. Uh, the big question that we definitely have to figure out, Henry V, 1989, Henry V, 1944, both valid, because I believe both are British films, mm-hmm. you could say. I don't know if this one was made maybe by an American studio, but it's certainly an all-British cast. Yes. Which one do you put on the list? You gotta go... Um, I look at it this way. Uh, if you have to watch one of these... If you can only watch one Henry V, and especially if you have to watch it for school, maybe watch the Kenneth Branagh version. I feel like it's closer to the spirit of the play. It's a. It's just a better... It's a better movie overall. It's more entertaining to watch, I would say. But don't let that dissuade you, if, if you can watch more than one Henry V, from watching the uh, 1944 one, because it is an amazing piece of, of cinematography and, and production. And it is worth seeing for that. But again, if you have to watch it and you only want to watch one Henry V, watch this one. But my big question is the list, though. The BFI Top 100. I would swap it out. You would You would swap it out? Absolutely. See, as much as I as I respect that Henry the V and what it was doing and how it looks and everything, like I say, I think this is a better movie. See, this was my original answer, that what you just said. I, I, I thought, no contest, swap it out. The only thing I'm wrestling with is I think these lists, it's important to have a combination of like quality and importance. Mm-hmm. And I feel like like this one, this 1989 version is a lot of times regarded as one of the best Shakespeare adaptations. Like it, many people, everybody loves it. It's mm-hmm. great. But the 1944 one was so groundbreaking and just the way they introduced it, like the combination of stage and yeah. screen and the fact that it was like the first lit, well, not the first, I guess, but the first like successful, like Olivier. Yeah. And it just, it makes it difficult for me to kind of decide, mm-hmm. I guess. I would, I would venture that I believe the Henry V from 1944 is certainly on a level of importance is a much more important film and a much more culturally relevant film uh, to Britain as a whole. Uh, for what it did, and, and and it's you know especially how it figured into the war and being a piece to kind of get people moving and, and raise morale. So as far as importance goes, yeah, that is a definitely a more important film, and maybe that's why it deserves to be on the BFI list versus this one. But I think at the end of the day, to use a phrase that everybody uses, um, this is the 1989 is just a better movie that is better acted and is more compelling to watch overall. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm still like I'm with you on it's that. A, it is a tough call. For yeah, sure. I'm with you on that. But like, it's also like you got to look at these lists, and we haven't like really talked like a lot about this, other than like maybe when we talk about Clockwork Orange or mm. something like that. But it's like, where do you draw the line on these lists between like their importance and culture? Because you could say Mona Lisa. Like, how many people know what that movie is? Exactly. It's a great movie. Yeah. But how many people know what it is? Does it deserve to be on a top 100 list? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, but, yeah. like, it's it's something like that. Whereas Clockwork Orange, everyone's fucking, everyone fucking knows what that is. Yeah. Maybe not everyone has seen it, but if you say a Clockwork Orange, 90% of the time someone's going to be like, oh, I know what that is. Oh, the guy in the bowler with the eye makeup. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a thing where, like, 
Yeah, like, where do you draw the line? Because, I mean, there are movies on this list that probably don't age well. Mm. We haven't gotten to a... We have gotten to, like, maybe a couple of them, but, like, I'm sure we're going to hit one that's, like, an old, old movie that paved the way for a lot of other movies and doesn't hold up. Well, but, it, like, what do you, what do you, how do you treat that? Exactly. And, and I mean, that's one of those things that, you know, it's 2019 now. It's been 20 years since this list that we are using has been done. How many of these films would, would get turfed? Yeah. Obviously. If and, they did a redo this year, mm. like, they would, they would all obviously pull some from the last 20 years. Yeah. Exactly. Which one of these movies would they just take from the bottom? I don't think so. No, not necessarily. Not necessarily. I bet you Carry On, the Carry On movie gets the cut, though. Uh, I bet, yeah. <laughs> I think Killing Fields might stay on. Like, I think maybe something like... Another important film. Yeah, I think maybe something random on the list like Passport to Pimlico or something yeah, might yeah. get the boot. Like, I feel like it's movies that are... And that and that and I think that ties into the importance thing because I think the movies that would get the boot are the ones that people kind of forget about. Yeah, and absolutely. And I think that's why it's kind of important to have both. Yes, which is, again, why I kind of struggle. I still feel like number 18 is crazy high mm. for Henry V, but I I think that's them wanting a Shakespeare adaptation. Near Shakespeare the top adaptation, of the and again, just the cultural importance of that film yeah. to Britain as a whole. And let's not forget, there's another Shakespeare adaptation on the list, and another Olivier one. Mm. So maybe they, maybe they do switch this one out and keep the Hamlet one from Olivier, or vice versa. Yeah. So... I don't know. Maybe one of each is what they need. Come on, BFI, get on the game. We want to see your new list. If they want pure, if they want true representation, they should call us, for, Canadian guys, to do their <laughs> list for them. For, for uh, Shakespeare on the list, maybe they should have one Olivier, one Brana. Yeah, because I mean, if you're just having two by the same director, like, what are you trying to? What are you saying there yeah. with that? You know yeah, what I mean? I think Kenneth Brana has shown himself to be very important in, in terms of that list. And maybe you take Brenna's Henry and leave Olivier's Hamlet. I guess That's that. All I'm I guess the question I have is: in, that list was made in 1999. Are there any films that Kenneth Branagh features in on that list? I don't think so. God damn. Yeah, because wow. I mean, I mean, Wild Wild West is not on the list. That CNN, that CNN documentary series Cold War that he narrated, not on the list. Not on the list. Murder on the Orient Express that only came out a couple uh, a couple years ago. Didn't have time. Not on the 1999 list for some reason. Weird that that would happen. So, anyway, I just think that's an interesting debate to get into. I don't know the definitive answer, but I think that's where I'm going with that. But, Brendan, people come to us for definitive answers. I say, until we see the Hamlet movies, after we see the Hamlet movies, I will I will make my choice. Done. You are going to be held to task on this one. Taken to task. Looks with like your feet held to the fire. It looks like Mel Gibson's getting on the BFI. All right. But let's leave all that behind. We are done with Henry V in general. Two adaptations of it is plenty. There is a 2012 BBC TV adaptation as well, but maybe we don't need to watch that one too. I'm good. All right. (laughs) But I do want to talk about what's coming up next week because we continue this series and now for something completely similar. With next week's film, we are doing the television remake of the first movie we ever talked about, Jason, on this show. Dr. Zhivago. Ooh. And this one has, and I, I didn't pull who plays the, the title role of Dr. Zhivago, of course. Um, but I do know that Kira Knightley is playing the... Laura, right. Laura. Uh, Julie, uh, yeah, Julie Christie. Kira Knightley is playing the Laura role, and I know that Sam Neill is playing Rod Steiger's role from the original. Should be interesting. Yeah. So we're going to check that out. Uh, if you can find it, congratulations. It's the 2002 version of Dr. Zhivago. And uh, if you can, watch it. It's long. 
But uh, check it out, and then we're going to talk about it. We're going to compare it to David Lean's Is it longer work. than the original Dr. Zhivago? <laughs> I think by a little bit. God damn it. <laughs> yeah. So there we go. So now before we head out, I will say that uh, you can find us on the Twitter box at BFI underscore pod. You can also search for us on Facebook. Just search for for screen and country. Uh, you can uh, find us on the podcatchers Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. And Jason is on the Twitter. You can find me at Jason D. McLeod, that's M-A-C-L-E-O-D, on Twitter. And you can find me at the store most days. Working. Yeah. So wherever you live, go to the store. Go Jason to the store. will be there. I'll be there to sell you cigarettes and possibly beer, depending on where you live. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking Montreal, eh? (laughs) I can say that because I'm from there. Yeah, I just found that out. (laughs) (laughs) No Jason for years, and he just found out five minutes ago I'm from Montreal. So that'll do it. Uh, So I guess I just have to say... God save the queen. God save the screen. And for screen and country, I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. Dost thou have anything to add? Once more, under the breach. Dear friend, I'm Ashley. And I'm Justine. And And we we make make up the Cutaways Cutaways Podcast. We're watching the good, the bad, and the essentials of the romantic comedy genre. So far, we've fallen in love with Cary Grant, met up with our terrible friend, pal Joey, and had the desire to run our fingers through Patrick Dempsey's hair. Join our slumber party for your ears every other week, brought to you in stereo from our blanket fort in Hollywood, California. You can find and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcatcher. Our digital blanket fort can be found at thecutaways.com. If you are the social butterfly types, you can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at Cutaways Podcast. Bye! It's time, let's check our cue, baby. Pair it with a couple brews, baby. We love good movies. We love the bad ones, too. So we watch them all and pass their lessons on to you. Oh, yeah. Everything I learned from movies With a one last plot holes, a gratuitous It's time to get busy with your friend Steven Izzy. At eilfm.podbean.com.